Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. It is Friday afternoon, this is the Peter Williams Afternoon Show, and here is a piece of news that you have not seen reported in the New Zealand media. The IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the holy grail of climate change science, has a new chairman. And there is every indication that he is a realist, not an alarmist. His name is Jim Ski, and he has said that it is not helpful to imply that a global temperature rise of 1.5 degrees Celsius is an existential threat to humanity. Think about that. He's calling for a balanced approach to the climate change debate. Mr. Ski is British. He was born in Scotland. He's graduated in physics. He did his doctoral research in energy research and has been at Imperial College in London for the last 14 years before starting this full-time job. He's 69, so he's a baby boomer and has been involved with the IPCC since the early 1990s. But here's what he told a couple of German magazines, quote, We should not despair and fall into a state of shock if global temperatures were to increase by this amount, 1.5 Celsius. If you constantly communicate the message that we are all doomed to extinction, then that paralyzes people and prevents them from taking the necessary steps to get a grip on climate change. The world won't end if it warms by more than 1.5 degrees. It will, however, be a more dangerous world. Unquote. So there you are. It's official. The boss of the IPCC says there is no imminent catastrophe and we should stop being climate alarmists. He also said that no scientist could tell people how to live or what to eat. Quote, it's about real people and their lives, not scientific abstractions. We need to come down a level. Unquote. So there we are, Extinction Rebellion and Just Stop Oil and Greta and James Shaw and the Climate Change Commission all trying to get us to change our behaviours. The world is not about to end anytime soon. But then we all knew that, didn't we? Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ski, for being a scientist and not an alarmist. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Well, a change of government is now looking almost certain after the polls of the last few days. Roy Morgan on Tuesday had Labour down at 26%. Read Research for News Hub on Wednesday had them a bit better at 32 but in both polls, Labour were behind National. The New Zealand Herald is running a poll of polls. It now assesses the chance of National and ACT forming the next government at 59.1%, while a coalition of Labour, Greens and Te Pāti Māori has only a 17.9% chance of forming the next government, and there is still a 22.9% chance of it being a hung parliament, God forbid. The average for the parties across the polls conducted by Curia uh, Talbot Mills, Reed Research and Cantor, which is now Varian for One News, shows National on 34.5, Labour has 32.3, 
ACT has 12, the Greens 9.3, New Zealand First 3.7 and the Māori Party 3.5. So the polling suggests it will be close. Parties of the right average 46.5, those of the left average 45.1. The fly in the ointment, though, is New Zealand First, averaging 3.7 without any chance of an electorate seat because Shane Jones is not going to win Northland. For what it's worth, I think New Zealand First will reach 5%. Winston's momentum is only in one direction. But even if New Zealand First is in Parliament, what influence is it going to have? David Seymour says flat out he won't be in a cabinet with New Zealand First ministers, although he might entertain being part of a governing coalition with them. Winston says he won't go with Labour. Would New Zealand First really be in government, but not in the executive, not in the cabinet? Frankly, I doubt it. Winston would want to be foreign minister again. It's a job he's actually very good at. But if David Seymour is true to his word, that won't happen. So would Winston change his mind and prop up a Labour-led coalition? He's sworn black and blue that he won't, but can we trust him? There are too many New Zealanders, you see, with long memories who can't forget some of his past indiscretions and therefore won't support him again. So Seymour's tactic is to put people off Winston. I don't think it's going to work. I think New Zealand First will get back into Parliament. I just don't see them having any real influence once they are there. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio slash members and join now. A study on how well the flu vaccine works has been brought to my attention. Uh, Yes, this study was published three years ago, but it involves work conducted in England and Wales from the year 2000 through to 2014. It involves 170 million episodes of care, as they're called, or flu shots in people aged from 55 to 75. It also involved the deaths of 7.6 million people. The authors of the study are all American, all are PhDs, although they are not medical doctors. Two are affiliated to the National Bureau of Economic Research, which is a century-old non-profit independent research organisation. Now, their research was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine. And here is the staggering conclusion, quote, No evidence indicated the vaccination reduced hospitalizations or mortality among elderly persons. The estimates were precise enough to rule out results from many previous studies. Current vaccination strategies prioritizing elderly persons may be less effective than believed at reducing serious morbidity and mortality in this population, which suggests that supplementary strategies may be necessary, unquote. That's all pretty clear, isn't it? It begs the question, why do we spend millions and millions of dollars promoting and supplying flu vaccines in this country? Do they really work and have any effect, especially on the elderly? This study says no, they do not. Studies like this only increase my scepticism about flu vaccinations, but as I always maintain, it should always be the individual's choice, and long may that remain. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message 
to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Now, Posey Parker says she is coming back to New Zealand for the court appearance of the person accused of assaulting her in Albert Park in Auckland in March of this year. Posey Parker has written an open letter to the Prime Minister. She's copied in a few other important people, like the Commissioner of Police, Andrew Costa, and the Leader of the Opposition. All she wants is an assurance that she and the women who will be supporting her in court will be safe. Doesn't seem like too much to ask, does it? This time, her presence, though, will be in a courtroom, a court of law where police and security make sure there is no bad behaviour. Anybody who tries to interfere with courtroom proceedings usually get short shrift. Of course, Posey Parker's mere presence in the country will be inflammatory. But so what? She has a right to visit this country as long as she has a valid passport, doesn't break the law, and is only here on a visitor visa. It would be an absolute disgrace, one of the lowest points in our history as a democratic nation, if she was denied a visitor's visa. She will no doubt wish to hold another public meeting, and pressure this time will go on to the police. Can they really stand by and let her be assaulted again? Can they really stand by and let her supporters be prevented from exercising their freedom of association and their freedom of speech? If they don't, and if they just look on with disinterest as they did in Auckland in March, you really wonder why we even bother to have a police force whose reason for being is to protect society from violence and crime. The big problem, though, with Rosie Parker's visit for this court date is that the person accused of assaulting her, Eli Rubashkin, has left the country and might not bother to come back for the court appearance. Uh, There will be warrants for her arrest, of course, but frankly, if Eli Rubashkin never returns to New Zealand, uh, the country will not be worse off for it. So Posey Parker could hold another public meeting while she's here. After what happened in March, this time I'm sure she will get significant public support. I note that despite the open letter to the Prime Minister and the other VIPs being published two days ago, there is still no response from the Prime Minister. Uh, He is obviously still having problems trying to work out just what a woman is. Now, sorry to climb on the name suppression bandwagon again, but I just have to. You might have seen the report from the Wellington District Court where a man described as a sportsman has been discharged without conviction and granted permanent name suppression after pleading guilty to having sex with a 15-year-old girl and sending her photos of his genitals. Charming. The judge, Bruce Davidson, discharged him on the condition that he pay the victim $2,000. This is a staggering decision. The victim has been mentally scarred by the experience. Her victim impact statement said she was a shell of her former self. She was scared to take public transport and had stopped going to school. She strongly opposed him being discharged and being granted permanent name suppression. And so did the Crown's lawyer, a female, who said this was serious and premeditated offending. But get this, the defence lawyer, a man, said his client was not in any way getting off. He had lost his job, his flat, and become isolated from his friends in his sport. He had also undergone counselling. He said because of the girl's age... The act was 
99 days short of being legal. Dear me. The judge found that consequences of conviction were out of all proportion to the gravity of the offences and publication of the sportsman's name would defeat the purposes of the discharge. There was a significant risk of irreparable and permanent damage to the sportsman and his family if suppression was not granted. Phew. I mean, you read stories like this and think, no wonder women grumble about the patriarchy, about toxic masculinity. Now, this was a Snapchat encounter, so the girl cannot be called completely blameless. It is not rape. She was a willing partner for a time, but was obviously deeply remorseful afterwards. And that's why we have a law to say that sex under the age of 16 is illegal. The law was broken. A young man has had a significantly detrimental effect on the life of a teenage girl. Her victim impact statement sounds like a cry for help. The young man takes part in a sport which apparently is in the Olympics. That's all we know about him. Yet a male judge says that because there was a significant risk of irreparable and permanent damage to him, he gets discharged. As I read this story, I'm shouting at the computer screen very loudly. What about the victim? Justice has not been done here. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. The Australian newspaper last weekend had more explosive material about the origins of COVID-19 and the cover-up around the origins. Their star investigative reporter, Shari Markson, reported two years ago that it's highly likely the virus came about as a result of a laboratory leak in Wuhan in China, probably through what is known as gain-of-function research. What's more, the Wuhan Institute of Virology's research was in part funded by the United States government through Anthony Fauci's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID. Now Shari Markson has investigated further, and she's told Chris Kenny on Sky News Australia that not only was Anthony Fauci's institute funding the research, He and a group of his scientific colleagues in the US then tried to cover up the reality that the virus could have come from a lab. It's unbelievable because I remember so clearly when I started reporting on this issue and investigating the Wuhan Institute of Virology and looking at their gain-of-function research, one of the questions that that confounded me at the time was that scientists kept saying that they were analysing the sequence of SARS-CoV-2, the genetic sequence itself, and that they could tell it was a natural virus. And this was incredibly confusing to me at the time. I now know, um, after writing my book and doing all the research, that you can't tell from looking at a virus's sequence whether it has been subject to laboratory manipulation or not. Modern techniques do not leave a trace. And so this goes to the heart of these scientists and their discussions in private correspondence, emails and Slack messages, where they were all looking at the very sequence and saying, it looks like the furin cleavage site has been inserted. It looks like it might have been engineered in a laboratory. One of the scientists said, it looks so friggin' likely. Another one discussed the shit show that would eventuate 
if China was even accused of an accidental lab release. So they had all these reasons not to say that the virus might have come from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and there was no reason at all uh, for them to say that it was a conspiracy. Yeah, it's extraordinary. They actually covered up their own scientific evidence. And the point was, this was the official scientists, I suppose, in the US and elsewhere. But you spoke to Dr. Nikolai Petrovsky in Adelaide. I interviewed him on Sky a number of times too. Have a look at this. Have a look at what he said. This is more than two years ago. It was perfectly human adapted from the very first instant. And that, of course, raises questions about how that adaptation occurred and we believe that the most likely explanation is the adaptation occurred in a laboratory somewhere and then the virus accidentally was released from there. You're not interested in the political debate or the theories, you're just examining the virus scientifically. Why doesn't the global scientific community want to hear this? Look, I, I think that there's a lot more evidence over the last six months of what we might call Chinese uh, influence over a lot of Western science. Uh Nikolai Petrovsky there. That's incredible, Sherry. He was saying that in 2021. He was pointing out that this looked like the virus had been meddled with or had some human connection even in 2020. So he's a, he's a scientist of great reputation and he was saying that publicly, yet it's taken all this time for it to come out. Well, that's the thing. The the first instincts, the first suspicions of world-leading scientists, including Andrew Rambeau, Christian Anderson, uh, and Robert Gary and others, were that the virus did look like it might have been subject to laboratory research. They had long Slack messages talking about this. They told Anthony Fauci about this, but then they went and wrote a scientific paper uh, published in Nature Medicine called The Proximal Origins of SARS-CoV-2 that said the exact opposite. Exactly. Said, it pushed the wet market theory. They said a laboratory uh, construct was a conspiracy. They said publicly it was crackpot. We now know part of the reason that they said that, and I've actually interviewed uh, for this magazine investigation that I've done that's running this Saturday, I've interviewed um, the man who was Anthony Fauci's boss, a very senior health official, and he talks about the discussions that were happening behind the scenes. He talks about how Anthony Fauci was worried about protecting his own reputation wow. because his agency had been funding gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That was Sherry Markson talking about her story which appeared in the Weekend Australian last weekend, a story which has still not been reported in the New Zealand media. Thank goodness for technology for the internet which allows us to see and read about the real world and not just the world as seen through the blinkered lens of New Zealand editors. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media, and now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions, along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, that's delivered to your email box every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members to see how you can join the mission 
that's making a difference. Making a difference. Now I have to tell you this, uh, you have only until midnight tonight to sign up as a foundation member of Reality Check Radio with the special introductory half-price offer. Uh, there's been a great response to our membership drive already. In the first four days, nearly 2,500 people have signed on with either a monthly or an annual subscription. RCR is growing fast, but to continue that growth, we need your support. Here are some of the benefits you'll enjoy as a Foundation member. RCR Bytes, it's a daily curated news service delivered to your inbox. You'll get an RCR Backstage Pass with entry to the host webinars, the first of which is this Sunday at 8 o'clock, and you'll get discounts on RCR merchandise, all for the price of a cheap cup of coffee a week. The RCR Foundation membership introductory offer is open till midnight tonight. It's a half price deal and you'll be laying another brick as we build an open and honest media outlet called Reality Check Radio. Go to the front page of this website, click on membership and you'll be told the full benefits of becoming an RCR Foundation member. We'd love to have you with us. Because it's a Friday afternoon, I have to say a bit about sport and make a few predictions about what will happen in the big matches involving New Zealand teams this weekend. First up, the netball. Uh, I think it's very obvious now that when star goal shoots Grace and Wecky went down with a serious injury a few days ago, New Zealand's hopes of retaining the World Cup collapsed with her. She was invalided out, and since then the Silver Ferns have drawn with South Africa and lost to Jamaica. Yes, they are in the semi-finals, but they won't be in the final. They will lose to England next up, and that will be that. The great story of these world championships, though, has been Jamaica. Remember the shambles that their tour here last year became? Now they're back at full strength with longtime Southern Steel star Janiel Fowler and Australian resident Ramelda Aiken. And look at them go, whipping the Silver Ferns by 11 goals. Nolene Torua coached a miracle in 2019. Sadly, it is not happening this year. And so to the rugby, have you heard this remarkable statistic that this weekend an all-black team will play a big match without a Barrett for the first time since 2015? How's that for continuity, eh? New Zealand's greatest rugby family has had at least one brother in the match day 23 for every test at either a World Cup or against a Tier 1 nation since the World Cup eight years ago. Not that I think it will make much difference to the result tomorrow. Uh, this might be an all-black second 15 as the coach looks to see who's worthy of being in this year's World Cup squad, uh, which he names on Monday. But the talent he has should still be plenty to see off the Wallabies, who sadly represent a country just bereft of much depth in its rugby talent pool. Uh, the Motormouth coach Eddie Jones is rapidly becoming... Frankly, vastly overrated, whose best days are behind him. He ultimately failed with England. He's still looking for his first win this time round as coach of Australia. I'm pretty certain he will not be getting it tomorrow afternoon in Dunedin. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.
This is RCR. Thank you for your company today. This has been the Peter Williams Afternoon Show. Enjoy your weekend. I'm off to Dunedin now to enjoy the weekend of the rugby test there. I look forward to being with you again on Monday here on RCR. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts, 1 p.m. Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio slash members and join now.